Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Raising the Standard. Guys, this is a phenomenal show today because I'm joined by none other than Dr. Michael Brown. Dr. Brown also heads up the website Ask Dr. Brown. He's a nationally syndicated radio host. He's airing every single day. He's an apologist. He's a theologian, and he has phenomenal amounts of content where he takes on every subject. So to honor Dr. Brown, I want to give you a proper introduction of some of his background because I believe most of my audience will know who he is, but in case you don't, you need to take note of who Dr. Brown is, where he comes from, and what he's up to right now. So he holds a PhD in Near Eastern Languages and Literatures from NYU. He's also served as a visiting or adjunct professor at Southern Evangelical Seminary, Gordon Cromwell Theological Seminary, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, Fuller Theological Seminary, Denver Theological Seminary, and the King's Seminary, Regent University School of Divinity, and he's contributed numerous articles to scholarly publications. He actually has over 40 books in print and has authored over 2,000 op-ed articles. He's an international speaker on the themes of spiritual renewal and cultural reformation, which is really fitting because I invited Dr. Brown to the Raising the Standard podcast today because I wanted to have this discussion around biblical manhood, biblical masculinity, but also and specifically what it looks like for you and I to stand up for uncompromising truth, holiness, and righteousness, being the man that we're called to be in a system of compromise and moral decay. I don't have to tell you what it looks like when you look outside or when you watch the news in the evening. It is incredibly dark and it's getting darker. However, Dr. Brown has rock solid advice for us as Christian men, as kingdom driven men, how to raise the standard, leading ourselves, leading our family, and also leading in culture. Now, guys, we talked about a lot of themes on this episode. They're very relevant, and there are things that I'm thinking about that I wanted you to hear and get educated on. So we are going to talk about biblical masculinity, Dr. Brown's take on what it takes for you to be a true man of God and what that looks like for men right now. I also specifically invited him here because he's written extensively about the leftist woke agenda that's so permeating our culture right now and what we can do where we are. And so I want you to hear what he has to say as a kingdom man for how you walk out your life in the midst of a contrary culture. Also, I've seen something in my life, guys, and maybe you've been affected by this or even pulled into it. As you start to stand up for what's right, there's a, this innate desire within you. You want to stand up for what's right. You want to do the right thing. You want to protect your family, especially in the midst of some of the evil that we see being pushed down upon us. And that can lead a man to be triggered to go full-blown nationalistic and start to be sucked into this wave where everything becomes political. And we start energizing and finding ourselves in the midst of these political battles, which is not necessarily where I believe we're called to be because we're citizens of another kingdom. Before our allegiance to the United States of America, we are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of God. So I wanted Dr. Brown's take on what that looks like for us walking out in the world as men. So I wanted Dr. Brown's take on that so you could know the proper priority and what it looks like specifically and practically 
for the ways we should be engaging culture around us. Now, I wanna make one more note before I just jump into the episode with you because we do talk about a topic called the Seven Mountain Mandate. And I bring it up, I get a quick take from Dr. Brown on the episode that you're about to hear. However, some of my listeners may not be totally familiar with the Seven Mountain Mandate. What is it? What is it not? And I will tell you this, there's a lot of thoughts and theories and articles, both positive and negative for what the Seven Mountain Mandate is. There's also a lot of misinformation around that as well. I think Dr. Brown sums it up best in a video that I found on his site that I'm going to link below on this video and in the podcast show notes. So if you want to know more about that, if you want to dive in, let me know, shoot me a message. Maybe we'll do a future episode exclusively about that, but I'm going to give you Dr. Brown's take on the seven mountain mandate, both positive and negative. So you're equipped in that area as you walk out, taking influence within your sphere of influence. All right, guys. I said everything I want to say to set this up so you know what you're walking into. Let's get into it. This is Raising the Standard, Leadership, Mindset, and Development for the Ambitious Christian Man. Identify, unlock, and access spiritual secrets and strategies grounded in biblical truth so you can run your race and maximize your impact and influence. It's time to lead yourself, your family, and your world. Let's get after it. Welcome back to another episode of Raising the Standard, leadership mindset and development for you, the kingdom-driven man. And I'm joined on this episode by none other than the voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity, Dr. Michael Brown. Dr. Brown, I want to welcome you to the show. It's an honor to have you join us today. Well, thanks. It's my joy to be with you. Thank you. Yeah. And I was telling you before the show, but right now I'm just holding up your book Revolution in the year 2000 is when I first got exposed to this book. So your writing, your work has had a, has had a major impact on my life. I want to thank you. I want to honor you because when I look at the, the scene of modern day Christianity right now, I can always count on you to have a strong message of holiness, uncompromising righteousness. How do we stand up in today's culture? And mostly what I'm really drawn to about what you do, Dr. Brown, I want to honor you for this, is you have an uncompromising message all centered on conformity to Christ. And that just bleeds through everything you do. So I just want to thank you for being that voice and raising the standard for all of us to follow. Well, Jesus is our only hope. And when he says on the way, the truth, and the life, it doesn't just mean for salvation. It it means for everything. He's, he's our model, he's our Lord, and we belong to him. So here we are, Lord, whatever you want, whatever the cost, whatever the consequence, here we are. Absolutely. Jesus is the standard. And that's what we're about on this show, Raising the Standard, Dr. Brown. So there's no one better to help lead us in today's conversation than you. And I wanted specifically, I want to start with your take, since we're talking to ambitious Christian men, I call them kingdom-driven men that are listening right now. And these are guys that want to excel in life. They want to go after it in business. But at the same time, we don't want to compromise fall into the world standards, and we want to do it God's way. So if I could just start with a, just your general concept of when you think of true biblical masculinity and someone that's really walking out the call of God on their life as a man, how would you explain that call of God that's given to every man? I'd say first that, that this person really loves Jesus, that, that they are born of the Spirit and that Jesus is central in their lives and that they know 
that they belong to him. So it's not a matter of what I want, what I prefer, what I desire. It's a matter of what he wants, what he prefers, what he desires. And we, we want to be conformed to, to, his, to his standard, as you say, to his nature, to his will. Because of that, we are people of holiness. We, we don't go the way of the world. We're not addicted to pornography. If we're married, we're not going out committing adultery. We're not beating our wives or our kids. We're, we're living godly lives. We're, if we're workers, we're, we're dependable and honest people. That, that's number one. Uh, no, number two, we are, are people of conviction, that we're not wimps, that we, we distinguish between right and wrong, and we're not afraid to stand up for what's right. At the same time, because Jesus is our model, we love people. And, and we would be, if we're married, the most loving husbands and the most loving fathers. And that if, if we're in the workplace or if we're taking a stand for righteousness in our community, people who know us would say, hey, we differ with you, but we know, that you know that we know that you love us and that you care about us. So as I've said in general, as followers of Jesus, we should have hearts of compassion with backbones of steel. But that should really speak in particular to Christian men, because just by the way that we're wired, there's a certain leadership onus that's on us. There's a certain leadership calling that's on us. Women are called to serve in millions of different ways and can be used in different ways in leadership as well. But there's still this thing that God put on us uh, to have the broad shoulders to carry and lead the way and be providers as single men or as, as married men. And in that, we should really epitomize this. Hearts of compassion, not mean-spirited, you know, some kind of machismo, watch how tough I am as I punch you in the face, right? Uh, hearts of compassion, but backbones of steel. We're not wimps. We're, we understand that we have a role and a calling as, as men of God, and therefore we're going to live that out. Excellent. I love that answer. I love the backbones of steel. I, I think that what I hear from men a lot, Dr. Brown, is that um, men don't always identify with some of the churches. I know we're talking about broad streams here um, because they feel like they don't fit in with their masculinity or they have this drive or they want to express themselves. But somehow over the course of history, Christian men have gotten put in the the nice guy box that we're just kind of rollovers, that we are kind of wimpy. And what does it really look like? I'd like you to explain a little bit more that backbone of steel comment, because um, number one, I want to hear if you if you agree with that sentiment that some men look at the church or maybe this is the world when they look from the outside looking in, they think Christian guys are just nice guys and they're not real leaders or they're not strong men because somehow they've associated Christianity with more feminine qualities, or they had some interactions with a Christian guy who ne necessarily wasn't a strong man in their perspective. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? First, let's look at something more broad, which is the war on masculinity and malehood in our society. In my book, Jezebel's War with America, I really focus on that and really look at what's been obvious to many for decades, that if you go back to when I was a kid, I was born in 55, and shows like Father Knows Best and others, you know, Ozzie and Harriet and whatever the show, Lassie, it didn't matter that the father was wise and the father was dependable and the father was trustworthy. And over a period of decades, it went to the father being the idiot, the jerk, the one that always gets things wrong, the one that's out of touch, the one who's short-tempered. So there's been that caricature. And honestly, I think when the world 
looks at the church, and again, even when we say the church, what are we talking about, right? But you know that 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 is so broad a concept. But let's just say when the world looks at evangelical Christian men, I think the character caricature is is actually that we are domineering, that that we are insensitive, that we just are going to pound people over the head with the Bible, and that we're all going to be, especially for white. Uh, right-wing Republican, that would kind of be the the caricature and cheering on, say, a leader like Donald Trump. And the more vulgar he gets, the more we cheer. I think that's the caricature from the world's perspective. Within the church, yes, there has been this feminizing of things, making it more, and I don't say this in, in a way to degrade women, but but making it more that you have to be soft and nice and touchable to be a real man. So the, there, there is this tendency. Uh, one, one I, I mentioned white evangelicals. One black evangelical was telling me that it's it's kind of like the, the open secret that just everything because you have the great majority of people in the churches are women that the gospel is going to be presented in a way that's going to be more uh, in a way a woman could relate to the musical styles, the different things, etc. Even even if you listen to contemporary Christian radio, it's pretty much built for a soccer mom driving her kids to and from school and thinking, you know, what tunes would she like to listen to? Nothing wrong with that. That's the marketing audience. But somehow now that's, that's the way an ideal man should be. So you have the caricature of the world, which goes to one extreme, and then the caricature within the church, which goes to another extreme. And what, what we have to realize is, okay, there, there's malehood in God's sight that is different than the way the world is going to look at it. So real men do cry. That that's and real men are tender and soft-hearted and compassionate. It's not just a real man that is going to yell and rage and march around the house screaming, "I'm I'm the boss." No, that's that's a baby. That's not a man. That's a baby. It's an insecure baby. At the same time, we must be the ones that make our families feel secure. We must be the ones that are known for taking a stand when it's costly because we're going to do what's right and and we're more concerned with God's favor than the favor of the world. We're more concerned with the blessing of God than the the blessing of the world. And therefore, we have these backbones of steel. And I know many such men, businessmen, pastors, leaders, folks in all different aspects of of work, some on the front lines of the pro-life movement, some of the political realm, some in media, social media, and that's what they're known for. They are clear, they are uncompromising, but they're Christ-like. And, and, and what they do, it's not mean-spirited, it's not angry, it's, it's rather with God's heart. There was no one who was more immovable in his convictions than Jesus, the Son of God, and yet he was known for extraordinary compassion and concern for the outcast and the marginalized. So it's both and in terms of who we are. So well said. So Dr. Brown, we find ourselves at this really strange point in history right now when we look around at the culture. 
that we're in as Christian men leading our families and seeing what's happening. And I know you write a lot about this. You speak a lot about this, but we're, we're in this culture, specifically in America. I think it's throughout the world as well, but we'll, we'll, we'll speak to the culture we're here. We, we are in here in the U.S., where we see this radical left agenda forming things with, you know, the way they want to indoctrinate children, what's happening. If we just look outside or we turn on the news um, on any evening and see what see what the newest agenda is or what's being pushed on us. So I'd like to hear you explain a little bit. How can a man lead his family specifically himself, but then also wield his influence in a culture that we find ourselves in right now where there's so much compromise. Um, so if you want to just take a few moments to tell us maybe where you see us at as a culture and then really what our response, what's the proper response for a man to have leading his family in the midst of the current crisis that we see ourselves in? So we are in a very serious crisis in America in certain ways unprecedented because of how widespread it's become and, and the nature of information that's accessible. Uh, we're, we're in a culture where even though Christian conservatives are having more babies than progressives, liberals, atheists, agnostics, we're losing many of our kids as they get older. The ideology of the world is seducing them more than the truth of the gospel is influencing them. And, and in many cases, their values reflect more the values of the world than the values of, of the gospel. You know, I'll, I'll just give you one tiny example. So my generation, baby boomers, uh, according to the most recent polls, less than 3% of us identify as somewhere on the LGBTQ plus spectrum. Recent surveys say that Gen Z young people identify as somewhere between 25 and 40% LGBTQ+. In other words, they're, they're not actually in same-sex relationships or exclusively homosexual or anything like that, but the ideology is so shifted that this is the place to be. This is the right place. And if, if gay is good and trans is good, then the church is bad. And that's, it's just one tiny example of the shifting in the culture. The fact that most adolescents are exposed to porn, that, that kids as young as seven and eight are getting their first exposure to porn. And now you have this going on for years and years. That's going to mess them up. That's going to mess up their way they relate to the opposite sex. That's going to mess up their, their own sexual behavior. And on and on it, it goes. Again, just one example. The number one cause of death among Americans aged 18 to 45 is fentanyl overdose. I mean, the, any one of these is enough to, to get you saying, oh, my God, oh, my God, what's going on? We really are in a crisis, and the divisions are getting deeper and deeper. The left is going further left, the right is going further right. The divisions are getting deeper and deeper. So the, the, there, there must be a wake-up call, an urgent wake-up call, more deeply than we've heard before. So what then do Christian men do? We start with, you can't give what you don't have. You really have to know God for yourself. I read the words of a dad after his kids were grown, and he said, if I had to do it again, I would have prayed for myself more and for my kids less, realizing that, that he was the bigger issue. And, and the extent he was walking with God, his kids would follow suit. It means being involved. I, I would say my greatest challenge as a dad, and then as a husband, Nancy and I married now, 
uh, 47 years and wonderfully in love with a great relationship and great relationships with our kids and grandkids. I mean, wonderful relationships. But for sure, the, the obvious thing for me was to be more present, to be more focused. Because, yeah, it's wonderful being married, wonderful having kids, but I got to finish writing this book and I going here to preach. So for someone else, I got this business deal to follow through on or this men's fellowship going on or this sports thing I got to watch. And we just have to be more vigilant. It's, it's the nature of the beast. Look, if you knew that, that there were some rattlesnakes that got loose in your house and, and you didn't know if you would chase them all out or not or kill them all or not, either you clear your whole family out of that house or you get everyone in one room and you, the dad, would put the lights on Right. And you would you would watch that room and wouldn't sleep. Well, you, it's just that kind of situation we have today. We have to be more vigilant. We have to be more present. We have to be more involved. It means as single people, we have to recognize the attack is intensified. And this is not to condemn those who've struggled. This is not to say you're a wimp if you ever watch porn. You're a wimp if you ever lost your temper. No, we're human beings and things are so accessible and available. Look, when I was shooting heroin at the age of 15 and living in complete rebellion and looking for whatever sin I could commit, I didn't have any access to porn. I, I couldn't get into a porn theater if I knew where one was, and I didn't. There was none in my, in, in my town. Uh, I, I couldn't buy Playboy or Penthouse, whatever was available back then. I uh, wasn't old enough. The only way to find it is if one of your friend's fathers subscribed and that was not the case with, with any of us. Maybe you'd find like a, you know, a page torn out laying by the railroad tracks. But now anybody at, the, at their fingertips can access almost anything. So it's just a time where we have to be more vigilant. But it doesn't come by just saying, I'm going to be stronger. I'm going to be tougher. I'm going to be closer to Jesus. No, we must invest quality time to be with him and then be strengthened by our other brothers together solid fellowship with others who love the Lord, who are on fire for God. You may have to change your activities. Maybe you can't hang out in certain places. Maybe you can't do certain things because they drag you down. Fine. What did Jesus say? If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. What we often do with sin is we cut it back or that unhealthy relationship we cut back. No, no. Cut it off. Break the, break the ties, break the hold of it. Then you can be free to do the will of God. We must be more vigilant. We must spend more quality time with the Lord and then be more focused and present, those of us who are married with families. So guard your time, guard your focus. And I think a big theme that you're speaking about here is also guard your environment. Where are you? Who are you associating with? Even within your home, what are your boundaries look like? So I would be remiss if I don't ask you, because I'm talking to the author of over 40 books and over 2000 op-ed articles. Um, you have a family. Um, obviously, you're at a different phase of your life as having young children at home like myself. But how do you guard your focus to produce so much material, be so productive for the kingdom? And um, yeah, I'd like to just to hear your take on your productivity and how you guard your focus with producing what you produce to follow the call of God on your life. Yeah, so there's several things. Obviously, God's grace, as, as Paul said, he worked harder than any of the apostles, but not him, but the grace of God at work in him in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. So it, it starts there that God does give us grace to do certain things. That's one. Uh, two is it's my calling, it's my burden, it's it's my life. 
right before we sat down for the interview, I looked at the clock. I realized I had a few minutes. I started writing another article. As soon as we're done, uh, I've got a few minutes before radio. I'll finish the article and, and then go back to editing the latest book that I'm working on. It's just it's, it's in my blood to do it. I'm at the airport waiting for my flight, and I pull out my lap. The flight's delayed 20 minutes. I'm going to pull out my laptop and, and spend that time writing. So it's, it's just in me to do that. Uh, it's, it's, it's a calling. It's a burden. It's, it's, it, there are things where I have to be disciplined. You, you know, if I'm working on an academic project, it may be years of work. So every day, you just got to chip away at the mountain, chip away, chip away. When I'm writing a book, I'm, I'm normally writing out of a strong burden, but sometimes you, you have to chip away at that too. It's like, I got to sharpen it, got to add the references. So there's that discipline uh, with it. And, and then also uh, I'm at the stage of life where we don't have uh, kids in the home. We, we, it's, just, it's just Nancy and me. We don't have a, a super busy social life where we're always hanging out, getting together with, with other people. And we're, we're great with that. We're, uh, so I'm able to devote time. If, if I want to have the time, I can have the time. And I just want to say to everybody, <clears throat> you might say, and look, every day I, I, there are things I don't get to do because there's always too much in emails to respond to and requests and needs and more things I want to write and work on. I, I understand that. But if we're faithful with little, God will make us faithful with much. So for those who say, man, I wish I had the time to do this and that, well, redeem the time you do have. Be disciplined with the time you do have, and you'd be surprised God will not give you more time. He'll enable you to get more things done in shorter periods of time. And when God starts moving on me, like I may have a major book project, and I'm, I'm working on it, writing a little here, writing a little there. Then I look at the, the calendar, it's like, oh, that has to be done in a month. And suddenly God's grace comes on me. And I, I mean, I've written like Jezebel's War with America, 70% of that book was written in an intense six days where I just got moved on to write Dan at the revolution book. You mentioned what was written in an intense period of, of weeks that just unfolded. I, and, and I was in the midst of a crazy business schedule, 70 to 80 hours a week of ministry related activity during that time, but just moved on to write. So be faithful with the little that you have honor the Lord with that and be sure to put him first. And you'd be amazed as to how he gives you extra time. And, and at the end of the day, it's like, where'd that come from? I don't know, but we used it well for the glory of God. That's amazing. So, you know, one of the things I talk about is that Jesus said yes to his father, but that automatically meant he had to say no to a lot of other opportunities that came his way. And that's what I'm hearing with you as well, that you have to guard that yes of what you're committed to. And for you, it's your calling. So thank you for sharing that with us, Dr. Brown. Yeah. Let me say this so that, that I do have a weakness of saying yes to too many people. Because I have so many people that I know, you know, hey, Mike, could you write a forward to my new book? Hey, Dr. Brown, can you give me an endorsement for this book? Hey, could you do this podcast? Hey, could you come speak? So I've had to work on that over the years to be more sensitive to the Lord, to be able to say no more. Because you want to help people and you love people. You want to be there for them. But it's fascinating. Luke 5, 16, it, it tells us that that crowds were coming to hear Jesus and to be healed of their diseases, but he withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You think, wait, wait, wait. Until he was crucified, he was here to teach and preach and to heal the sick. And crowds are coming to him, right? And, and people, 
if they're not healed by him, they're going to die or they'll never be healed. They'll be blind or crippled the rest of their lives or they'll die from their sickness. And yet he knew he had to be with his father. And he knew wherever he went, there would be more crowds to reach than he could possibly reach and more sick to heal that he could possibly heal himself in terms of time and effort. So he had to be with his father. That was more important. And then the next verse says, as he was teaching, the power of the Lord was present to heal. Isn't that something? And then, of course, by being obedient in his mission, he now pays for the sins of the world and now raises up an army of hundreds of millions that can go out and minister to more crowds than he could have done on this earth in a hundred lifetimes. Yeah, amazing. Well, I want to thank you for saying yes and honor you and your time for saying yes to me today to be here. Um, I want to jump back into what we were talking about with the current cultural stuff that's going on. And just, you know, I see this, Dr. Brown, is that men, you know, we inherently have this drive within us for justice and for righteousness. And we know when wrong is wrong and when something's not according to God's word. And I think this even goes for the majority of good hearted men and that just have a moral compass, even if they're not following the Lord. There's something intrinsic within us that wants to stand up for the weak or stand up for justice. So what I'm seeing, and I want your opinion on this, is that I see that it's easy for us as guys, as we see what's happening, specifically around children, you know, grooming children. Uh, the movie was just released, Sound of Freedom, at the time we're recording this. So, you know, there's more of an emphasis on what's happening with slavery and human trafficking. And it causes a man to rise up within himself and say, what can I do? And sometimes that pulls us to this far, far right side where it crosses from being, you know, we're, we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven, where we start to become nationalistic and we, we go a little bit off the spectrum. And by no means am I saying we shouldn't stand up for children. I was just using that as an example of things that can be the trigger point to make us go all the way to the right or embrace this hyper-nationalistic focus. And I see it the same, I see it the same way as this was happening in Jesus's day, because there was the religious spirit, but there's the political spirit. And Jesus had zealots around him all the time that wanted to physically overthrow the Roman rule. And so I, I see this mob mentality that comes on men, or it's almost like a frenzy where things get worked up and you just like it triggers something within them. They may not know how to express it, but it pulls them. Um out of their position and their alignment, walking with the Lord. Can you just elaborate on that? Give me your take on that. Tell me if you agree with that. Yeah, of course. Let me simplify it to say this. There's a difference between chanting USA, USA, and chanting Jesus, Jesus. And we often get them confused. We often conflate the two. And here's the challenge. If, if I tell people, hey, I'm voting for this candidate, but I'm not putting my trust in this candidate. I'm not putting my trust in this party. Voting is what I do, but it's way down the list of, of the key ways that I want to see America change and the key way that I want to protect the next generation and the key ways that I want to fight for our children. I am going to vote and I am going to advocate politically, but it's way down my list. Oh, well, you're just soft. See, Dr. Brown, you sold out. You're a communist. You're a leftist. You're a rhino, which is funny. You'd be a Republican name only when I'm a registered Democrat just to make a kingdom statement that my allegiance is ultimately to God and not to, not to a party. It's just my own conviction to do that. But I found it so interesting. Or, you know, I'll just give an example. I voted for Donald Trump twice. But when I said it's over in, in, in early uh, uh early 2021 now, when I said it's, it's over, he's not coming back this term. Joe Biden will be inaugurated. Now I was, 
I, I was like the 10 spies that said, we can't take the promised land. I didn't have the spirit of Joshua and Caleb. I was the coward. It's like, actually, to stand and say what I'm saying, I'm getting far more flack than I went, if I went with the crowd. It's easy to go with the crowd here. But you're anti-patriotic. Remember, Jeremiah was called of, of siding with the Babylonians because he told the kings of, of Judah, look, look, submit. Submit to Nebuchadnezzar and you'll live. No, you're siding with the Babylonians. So that prophetic voice is going to go against that, this, this cultural pull. So I, I want to see America blessed. I believe our best days could be ahead. I believe that America has the potential of doing great good or great evil around the world. And as America goes, much of the world goes. So I'm, I'm jealous for my country for our country's sake. I'm jealous for my country for the sake of the, of the world. But I know that there's no earthly political solution that is going to get the job done. The job can only be done as hearts and lives are changed through the gospel. The job can only be done as the church leads the way in acts of compassion and standing for righteousness and unity. The job can only be done when, when we follow biblical principles. So whoever we elect is going to do good and bad because they're human beings. And whatever party we're part of is going to do good and bad, some more bad than good. Right. So switch affiliations. But the bottom line is we cannot wrap the gospel in the American flag. My book, The Political Seduction of the Church, really lays this out clearly. On the one hand, there's the political seduction of dropping out entirely because why bother? The world's only getting worse and Jesus is coming any moment. And, the, and that's an, an ever-present reality that people do drop out for those reasons. But then on the flip side, there's the, the political seduction of the church of wrapping the gospel with the American flag, of conflating the kingdom of God with America, with, with failing to recognize America as a fallen nation like every other nation on the planet. And the hope of America is not the nation, but the believers within the country living as believers, not taking over and imposing our ways on the nation, but advocating for our ways and presenting why this is the better way and, and, and until society, until hearts and minds are open. Look, Roe v. Wade was overturned. This is a massive victory that many thought would never, ever happen. Those on the front lines of the pro-life movement for decades, only they can describe how massive this victory really is and how impossible it seemed at times. But the only way to make this stand in our culture and then to really make us a culture of life is by changing hearts and changing minds about babies in the womb and babies outside of the womb. Otherwise, what you're going to get eventually is the swing back the other way. New justice is appointed and everything ending up worse than it was before. And the spirit the, the human angry spirit does not accomplish the righteousness of God. There is a righteous indignation that, that stands up for the unborn. There's a righteous indignation that hates the trafficking of, of human lives. There's a righteous indignation that hates what Satan is doing uh, to, to so many in our, in our nation. That drives us to prayer. That drives us to fasting. That drives us to personal consecration. That, that drives us to loving our neighbor as ourself. It doesn't drive us to burning buildings down or marching down the streets shouting to show our dominance. If we're going to march down the streets, let's march down the streets with worship music, praising Jesus, and, and then going into a community and, and feeding the poor. And, and let us do that as we stand for what's right and push back against ungodly agendas in our schools and in our government.
Yeah. Uh, so, so one side pulls out, one side says, I'm done. The whole system's corrupt. I can't trust anyone. They're all puppets. They're all whatever. And they kind of just sit on the sidelines. And then thank you for breaking that down. The gospel wrapped in the American flag, really powerful chapter in your book. Um, and I'm going to recommend your book and we'll put all the links in below. So everyone listening can follow up if they want to go deeper into this message. But what about the other side of Christianity? Because we're left with this. So I, I hear what you're saying, but there's, there's other people saying, okay, so what do we do? How do we occupy in advance? We have this charge from Jesus to occupy until I come. What does that look like practically on top of everything you already said? So not, not minimizing that whatsoever, but for, you know, is there a call? Are we supposed to get involved in government? Is it more than just voting? Um, is it a seven mountain mandate? Like what's that look like for you as you charge us as men to create engagement knowing that we're really in a spiritual battle, not as much a physical battle. So we put first things first, which is spiritual weapons, prayer, fasting, preaching the gospel, winning the lost, making disciples. You start there. Always spiritual weapons first. Secondly, we concentrate on getting our own houses in order, repenting of sin in our own lives, uh, strengthening our marriages, uh, doing a better job of discipling our kids and pouring into our kids, we, we, we put a strong emphasis on that. A third, we, we get involved locally in, in acts of, of compassion and kindness wherever we can. Uh, not to put on a show, but because that's, that's who we are, because we love people and, and because God is love and we want to do tangible good uh, to help. And, and when people in the community see you're there for the long haul and you really care, that, they, they may have some ideological and political differences with you, but they won't badmouth you. Because they know, no, these people care. They're good people. I know them. Uh, so, so again, we start with spiritual weapons. One, two, we get our own houses in order. Three, acts of compassion, kindness towards the, uh, the, the poor, the needy. Uh, four, we, we get involved politically in that we, we all should vote. And uh, for years, I was involved locally. We would, we would, protested at city council meetings. We'd give our presentations as to problems that needed to be addressed or in the we'd go to school board meetings. And even though sometimes we would be the all folks from our church would be all the speakers for the entire night. And, and we came out in force, nothing ever changed. And we were told, well, there's two reasons. One, you only show up for your special interests. So you don't seem to care about the rest of the year. The other thing was it was already fixed because the boards were what they were. Well, why not run for city council and yourself? Why not run for school board? Somebody's got to do it. So we get involved, first, all of us by, by voting, and, and that means pastors, leaders, just let your people be aware. There are plenty of voter guides that are available that are nonpartisan. They don't tell you vote Republican, Democrat, Independent. They just say, here are issues that, here's what we understand is a biblical worldview about XYZ. Here's where these different candidates stand on XYZ. Now vote accordingly. There's no reason why every election season, every two years, that we're not equipping our people, encouraging everyone to, to vote. And then some are called to be more active, to lobby and, and, and to raise funds. And some are called to be even more active and run for office themselves. So that's part of the diversity of, of who we are and what we do. But it's again, it's, it's down the list of what we do. And, and then what I'd put even, even before this, so make politics for, before this, I'd put, let us infiltrate the world with the, with the light of the gospel. Let us be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. 
So the seven mountains to me is not, these are mountains we're going to climb and take over. Some wrongly understood them. I had the privilege of spending time with, with Lauren Cunningham uh, earlier this year, so a few hours together, and asked him about the whole Seven Mountains thing, how he and Bill Bright got it simultaneously and, and shared with each other. It's it quite amazing hearing from his own voice. It's just a matter of if we're going to make disciples, we need to impact the culture as well. So when, when our universities are doing such a good job of, of turning out radical leftists, well, why don't we do our best to, to infiltrate the school systems better? Why, more Christian teachers, more Christian administrators and, and librarians and things like that, more Christian professors, pour more into the Christian schools that do exist, from children's schools and homeschooling programs right up through college and university, pour into those programs. And then businessmen realize that a lot of things, you just follow the money trail, that that leftist investors and various ones who thought that this social justice cause was the right cause or, or that that trans rights were, were the new human rights issue of the day and this is where we have to stand, they pretty much made it clear, you want our money, you have to conform in these ways. But we have to, as, as godly business people, not, not twist people's arms, but say, hey, we're going to put our money behind good causes, behind family causes, behind righteous causes. And many are doing that. Uh, it's just a matter on, on all fronts of being more vigilant and stepping things up because the stakes are so high. Yeah, really well said. I love the the spiritual checklist you took us through first to make sure our house is in order, that we're personally consecrated, that we're leading our family, and we have everything in order there. And I thought it was freeing, Dr. Brown, where you shared, you know, specifically, obviously, we all should be voting. We all should be using our voice and exercising the freedoms that many people ahead of us paid a big price for. But then you specifically talked about there's a certain grace or there's a calling on someone's life to go into the political sphere. So it's not that the average man listening has to get engaged engaged in politics, if I'm understanding correctly, right? You follow your calling with where the Lord's leading you and the grace that's upon your life. Would that be correct? Yeah, everyone should vote. There may be a, a particular election you feel you, you can't vote for either candidate for various reasons, but everybody should vote. And some are called to greater engagement. What, what got us messed up with the 2020 elections, it's that elections became our passion. It was like the number one thing. And, and we became better known as followers or opposers of a particular candidate than followers of Jesus. We, we, I remember getting phone calls on my radio show. Dr. Brown, there's no way you can vote for Trump and be a Christian, followed by a call saying, Dr. Brown, there's no way you cannot vote for Trump and be a Christian. I remember saying, I, I, thought, I thought Jesus was the dividing line. I thought when we stand before God, he's going to say, what did you do with my son? Not what did you do with Trump? But we got so caught up in it. So step back in a healthy way. Put your heart, your soul into the Lord and his purpose and loving him and honoring him. And, and then let the whole world know that Jesus died for you and rose from the dead. And all you have is his. And then down here, oh, and I voted for this candidate. Let, let it be with that priority. But by all means, vote. If we don't vote and things go south, that's on us. We, we didn't do what we could do to get better candidates in, in place. But bottom line is, most people are not called to a major political thrust. And when we go in that direction, we lose our focus and many of us leave our first love in the process. Yeah, especially if you're not called. Absolutely. I totally agree. Thanks for sharing that. So, Dr. Brown, here we are. We're we're already in political season right now. The field is forming. 
Um, what's your outlook for the next couple of years going into the next election? If you have a prediction for America, are you optimistic? Um, where do you see where do you see things lining up, and what's the call to the church? I'm optimistic because I see an outpouring beginning in many churches around America. Uh, it's it's been here for some time now, but it's growing. I believe it's going to continue to grow. I'm optimistic because I see more and more people getting spiritually desperate, and I'm seeing more and more people standing up and pushing back. The the Jesus revolution, the counterculture revolution that we said was coming for many years is here, and it, and it's rising. That's very encouraging. Even the release of the Jesus Revolution movie shortly after the announcement of the outpouring at Asbury, these were things that had been burning in my heart for years, revival, revolution, uh, and, and a massive harvest of souls, especially young people, especially those who identify as LGBTQ+. I, I see all of that unfolding and happening. So, so the tide is rising in a positive way, which is very encouraging. The reason that my optimism is tempered is because I don't believe we learned our lessons from the 2020 elections with the failed prophecies, with the QAnon conspiracy theories, with, with the politicizing of the gospel, with becoming appendages to a political party. I don't feel that we adequately learned our lessons. That's a concern to me. As a charismatic believer, I'm concerned that so much deception went on unchecked and those that did try to check it got, got vilified as being of the, of the devil. That concerns me. Uh, it concerns me that we we may not get the candidate that is is best for our nation, but just the, the one that can can win. <laughs> you know, it's it, it it's it's not like just a sports event where everybody's at their best for the Olympic Games and the athlete that's in the best shape and runs the best is going to win the race. This is a lot of factors here. And it just may be popularity of one candidate or unpopularity of another candidate. So I'm not optimistic about the political prospects at the moment as they look. Nonetheless, because I'm primarily looking to God, I'm really believing that he can shake things up in ways that are beyond what we're expecting. So to me, the key is keep the urgency. Keep, keep that feeling of being on the edge of your seat that we cannot relax or, or, or just give some kind of sigh of relief. In fact, if our ideal candidate got elected, we still have to keep our foot pressed down on that gas pedal because our trust is not in that candidate or in the political system primarily. So uh, I, I have a, a holy confidence, but I have deep, deep concerns because the wounds are, are so deep. My most recent book, well, two books back was called Revival or We Die. Well, it's probably four books back, whatever, a few books back, uh, Revival or We Die. A and it said a great awakening is our only hope. That was not hyperbole. I, I truly and genuinely believe that. If folks read the political seduction of the church, they'll, they'll see where we got off and, and what we can do to go in the right direction. I lay it out as practically as I can. My book, Saving a Sick America, which came out 2016, 2017, that chapter by chapter says, all right, here are things we can do. Point by point by point, things we can do to bring about change. So uh, I'm optimistic, but I'm concerned. It's still an urgent moment, and we, we must keep our vigilance. 
Can I ask you if you feel, um, just because there's different streams and outlooks when it, when it comes to seeing what the prophetic future looks like for America at the time and the season we're in right now, um, do you believe and do you feel that judgment's coming to America? Judgment's been in America for, for decades. God's given us over to, to all kinds of sins of the flesh and has withdrawn his hand of protection and blessing in many ways. Judgment's been here. And there's no way we can do what we've done and live the way we lived with without some level of judgment. Judgment's been here just as we've reaped what we sow. You know, that's that's the way that things are set up by God and, and the deterioration of our society with the deterioration of our of our families and so on and so forth. We're we are reaping judgment in that regard as as well. I do believe that we are in the early stages of what could be a massive awakening. And I have believed for over 20 years now that as surely as there was a civil rights movement in America, there is going to be a gospel-based moral and cultural revolution that that swings things back. It, we're, nothing's ever going to be perfectly Christian before Jesus comes. It's just a matter of, okay, so let's say in our generation, things, if this direction is getting worse, it went more this way. Well, by the time I leave this world, I, I want it to be like this. For, for the next generation and see if they can build on that. And then when Jesus comes, we're, we're never going to be perfectly righteous or totally wicked, but let's, let's move things forward. And as, as, as I'm looking at our clock and we're at the end of our time, I think of what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the ultimate test of a moral society is the kind of world that it leads to its children. So that's what we have to ask ourselves. You know, I feel full of life energy. I'm 68, but I feel like I'm just getting started in so many ways, but I understand we have to think in a multi-generational way. What kind of world am I leaving, say, to our, to our grandchildren who are yet to be born? Excuse me, our great-grandchildren, as all of our grandkids are between 16 and 22. What kind of world will we be leaving to, to my great-grandchildren? These are questions we have to ask ourselves because we're responsible before God. Dr. Brown, as we wrap this up, what's your charge to the men that are listening? I'll give you the last word, and then we'll close out. Don't be a wimp. Be a man of God. Stop making excuses. Get quality time with God. Say no to the distractions. Say no to the flesh. Say no to the devil. You're not a wimp. You're not, you're not a, a slave. You're a servant of God, empowered over all the power of the enemy. So stand tall in Jesus. In him, you are more than a conqueror. In him, you are an overcomer. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, lives in me. Let's do it. Let's take a stand. Let's not stand before God and think about what we could have done or should have done. Let's do it today while we have breath. On with the revolution. Absolutely. It's been an honor to have you on. Guys, until the next episode, let's raise the standard. Hey guys, I got a quick announcement to make. If you feel that you're in the gap between where you are right now and where you're supposed to be in life, that place that God has promised you, that promised land that he has for you, then I want to invite you into the Unfair Advantage Challenge. It's an 11-day email training content that I've never shared on this platform before. And I'm doing this because I want to equip you and teach you how to access the unfair advantage that God gives all men who are walking with him. But here's the thing. Many men never access it. Many men never reach their promised land and many men never reach their full potential. That's why I'm doing this. So go to accessyouradvantage.com, sign up for the training, and you will get equipped with the strategy, the mindset, and the tools 
so you can unlock and access the unfair advantage that God has for you. Let's get after it.